Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. How you guys doing? Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share just, I'm going to dovetail a little bit onto what Cody was saying earlier and just kind of expand upon that just a little bit here. So, um, uh, and also for just the housekeeping side of things, don't put this in the message, please, when you post it online, if that's okay. Um, but as a chaplain, one of the things that we're used to doing is actually taking confidential um, counseling statements. As a matter of fact, by regulation, we can't share anything with chain of command. Um, so, so even somebody comes to us and says, hey, I'm doing something that could get me kicked out we don't share. And so we're used to being taught to be a vault for information and to be able to help people through that. And the fact that your school administration here is saying, hey, we want to go ahead and allow this to be a resource for you to help you out with suicidal thoughts, with some of the struggles that might happen with that, where it doesn't get shared back to administration. There's no reporting side on that at all. It's more or less them saying, hey, here's a safe place for you to to have that as an outlet if you need that. Um, Matter of fact, um, this is something I'm trained in a lot, um, and I'll be leaving this Sunday to be going to uh, something called Suicide Risk Reduction Liaison Training that my division is standing up. Um, and on top of that, if you're in the military, you know ACE training, uh, assist, care, and escort type of training that helps out with some of the suicide um, issues that can come up with people. So I'm here to help you, and a matter of fact, if you want to, I'm going to pause for just a quick second. I want you to take your phones out. I want you to just take your phones out just real quickly. So, um, that's, so this is one of the reasons why I didn't want you to post this on, online here. You can give me a call and seriously pass on the number, um, but there's no reporting structure back to the Bible college. It's just you and I having a conversation to try to help you get through a rough time or one of your friends. So, okay, now we can roll that beautiful bean footage. Okay, here we go. Today we're going to take a look at a call of an apostle, a disciple named Matthew. It's only one verse that he gets called in, but I'm telling you what, this man's call shows so much about what Jesus wants. He didn't come here to support any one of our agendas. Matter of fact, he came here to take that away and replace it with something better, which was his. And if there was ever a person, a disciple that showed that the most, It was the call of Matthew. Let's just read the one verse. Let's just read the one verse here. As Jesus went from there, there being when he raised a paralytic from uh, from the ground, he said he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew, a tax collector amongst a bunch of Jewish men, And he's saying, come and join my team. Well, here's some things I want you to know about Matthew. We know about five different things about Matthew for sure. He was a Jew, most likely a Roman citizen. Um, His Jewish name was Levi, as you can see in the books of Mark and Luke when it talks about the same call of Matthew. And Matthew was his Greek name, which is a Hebrew derivative from the word Nathan. So Matthew means uh, gift of God. He was a disciple and apostle we talked about. He was also the son of Alphaeus. Now, was he... 
James's brother, well, never connects them as brothers, but maybe that's because there was some family feud going on or whatever, but I'll let your New Testament guys figure that stuff out. But we know that it says that he was the son of Alphaeus um, and that he was a tax collector. And I want to really dive into this section of Matthew being a tax collector and give you an idea and walk you through some of these cultures and customs of this time because you too are going to go out and be able to speak and teach on this stuff, but I want you to be able to breathe this air and feel the tension that Matthew would have brought to this discipleship group. You know that they're, they were looked up as robbers and thieves and things like this, but I want you to, I want to really try to embody this and bring this out. And to do this, we have to jump back about 150 years to the Maccabean period. And this, when the Seleucids ran this world, and they had taxes too. They had about six different taxes that were done. And Simon Maccabees went ahead and taxed his own people, but it was only on the port cities. And they brought in revenue to, the, to Israel, and they'd be able to, they were able to live off of it just fine. And these continued to reduce theirs. They didn't really want to be a huge burden to the people because we don't see any complaints during the Maccabean period until Herod the Great shows up. And then everything changes. During the Maccabean period, the Seleucids taxed six different things. They had a poll tax. They had a salt tax. They had a crown tax. They had a land tax, a cattle tax, and a fruit tree tax. That was it. Everything else that was sold in the market, no taxes. Everything else as you went back and forth within the towns, no taxes. None of these types of problems. When the Romans took over, they had new tax laws, and it was pretty vague. And so people saw this as an opportunity to start an industry or a business and create revenue off of them. And Herod the Great did this remarkably. He taxed everything that was sold in the market. Wine, corn, meat, it didn't matter. And then there were actually little tax stations that were set up clear from the coast to the Shephelah or up into where Jerusalem's at, up into the hill country and beyond, that all along the way, these people were getting taxed dramatically. Matter of fact, it was during Herod's time that the term publican and tax collector became synonymous with robber, brigand, murderer, and reprobate. That was the value of a tax collector in Herod the Great's time, and it only escalated after that. Because these people would bring in their merchandise to sell, and they'd be taxed before they entered the city. They'd be taxed on the road there. They'd be taxed when they sold it. And if they didn't have the revenue to pay for it, then that fee would be a loan or a lien against their property or against their own goods at an exorbitant rate. So the purpose of this loan and leaning business was not for them to pay, but was to take their stuff. It was predatory lending practices, and that's how they accumulated their wealth over and over. And you know that Rome set its own standards saying, this is how much we want to get from this area. And this business model, everybody was taking a rake. Everybody had sticky fingers. Everybody got their cut as they went through the towns in order to sell just to make a living. Matter of fact, one of the best resources on this, if you want to look into this more, is Joseph Klossner's book called Jesus of Nazareth, His Lifetimes and Teachings. And this is what he wrote. The goods were sold in the Roman market at a hundred times higher their cost at their place of origin or manufacturing. In spite of the fact that the fixed duty imposed by the Roman government 
was only 2.5% that the value of the goods that were sold. Such taxes impoverished the people and made them full of impotent rage against the despotic kingdom, which through its many minions drained their blood. <laughs> that was the view of these people. So every time they went into a market and they passed a, passed a tax collector's booth, they're thinking to themselves, you are sucking the very life out of me. And then they went down to the next one and got it more taken away. And then they didn't have enough money, so then they're putting their land up on lien. And then they don't have enough to pay for it, and so now they lose their land. And this is what's going on throughout all of it. And who's getting rich off of this? The government. The, the tax collectors. And there were two types of tax collectors, and we see them both in Scripture. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, like a district manager, had people working for him. So he was wealthy, very wealthy. And then we have somebody like Matthew, Levi, who was a tax collector sitting at a polling station taking some revenue and taxes from the people. This was horrible situation, and the people hated it. And you know what's even more hateful? There was a rule within Roman law that a Roman citizen who was a tax collector in Galilee did not have to pay taxes. And where was Jesus' main ministry? Around Galilee. And guess who was always with him? Or who was his disciples? Fishermen around Galilee. And guess where, guess where Levi is a tax collector? In Galilee. And I'm sure that they had to pay taxes to him at some time in their life. And I'm sure they hated it. And I'm sure that each one of these disciples knew of, them, of a family member or somebody close to them who a tax collector bankrupt or stole their goods and they couldn't stand them anymore. Matter of fact, um, Alexander Bruce in his book, With Open Face, writes this. The Jews had such utter contempt for tax collectors that money known to have come from them was not accepted in the synagogue or the temple because it's apparent that few tax collectors would have had a chance to hear Christ's message. They probably would not have even admitted them into the synagogue to even hear it. Their testimony was considered gone, was, was false, was not admissible at all. They were the lowest of the low life. And then you add in that Matthew was a Jew collecting taxes for the Roman government, for the very people that were occupying their land that God gave them by Father Abraham, and bankrupting them and taking it back and giving it to them, now you got a flavor for when Jesus said, follow me, come in here with my group. If there was ever a person that Jesus said, this shows I'm not after any one of your guys' agendas. I'm not after, after anything that you're trying to put together. I'm after you following me and loving people. It was the call of Matthew. Absolutely, the call of Matthew. And think about it. You had two different business owners there, right? Simon, um, the sons of thunder, John and James. I think that's right, right? Sons of Zebedee. I'm an Old Testament guy, so you guys can clear that up later. But they had those guys, right? They were like a small business because they had a little boat that they had a fishing operation on. And then you had several fishermen. But then you also had Simon the Zealot that's, that Matthew represented everything he stood up against. And now he's saying, come around a table and let's dine together and eat. And you guys are going to change the world. 
And Simon's like, yeah, I'm going to change the world right now. I'm going to cut this guy's head off. You know, I mean, he's just, he can't stand him. He can't stand this guy. And Jesus is like, no, let me teach you what love means. Let me bring in a tax collector amongst your group. And why don't you start loving him? Yeah, well, he took my family. You know what? So what? You're not a sinner either? And he began to lean in and push into these people to change their perception of who is valued by God and who's not. But with the same type of system, now this is also on another side, Annas, the high priest, basically implemented the same kind of tax structure but with the temple services and the goods that were done there. Always took a rake off of everything that was sold and taken and just these people were under such heavy burdens that they couldn't even worship right, correctly. They didn't even have the funds for these types of things. And this gives you a picture into what Jesus is walking into with his ministry. And this is why Jesus said, I'm here to bring something different. And when the people saw his miracles and everything, I'm sure that they thought, are you just going to use and take me too? Are you just going to take advantage of who I am? Are you going to tax me out and want all my stuff too? And so Jesus says, I have a different agenda here. So what does he do? Now you understand why he started tossing tables. Now it makes sense. He wasn't just mad. It was getting in the way of their own worship. And Jesus made it very clear, I'm not the same kind of person. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23, talking about the Pharisees, Sadducees, these religious leaders at this time, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And that's exactly what they wanted to do. Put these loads on, break them down, and then take their stuff when they all crumble. They're waiting like vultures. Or Jesus later on in Matthew chapter 23, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you shut up the kingdom of heaven from people and you yourselves don't even enter. Nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites because you devour widows' houses. Yeah, through this scheme I'm telling you right now. And for, and, and for pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive a greater condemnation. And you can see that this is written by Matthew, pretty interesting. And again, these people are, are confused on how they can worship and have a right relationship with God. Why? Because they don't have these resources to do it. They have to have these sacrifices. They have to pay huge amounts of money to lay down this on the altar. They have to do all these types of things. They can't even buy it without being taxed out of their home. They barely are keeping it up. And so when Jesus makes a comment, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now you understand why they say, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus is like, no, that's not the way it's done. You see, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle, I am humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the people ran to him. Wow, he's not taking advantage of me. He's not just using me for these things. But picking up Matthew as a tax collector was not a good PR move for Jesus. It would have definitely upset him with all the different poor people that, was coming around, that were coming around him. And also, 
as he's trying to make inlands into the Jewish community, these, the, Matthew would not have been his best choice. But once again, Jesus didn't come here to meet their ideas. He came here to cause an uproar and to, and to rock their world and change it and then rebuild it. Jesus, Matthew again in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 12 Quoting Isaiah uh, 42 says um, this really great, humble servant heart person that God says, this is my servant and whom I'm pleased with. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And this is the one that says that God will have delight in. That Jesus is this gentle of a person in the way that he cares for people. Unlike the other religious leaders, unlike the tax collectors, unlike these other people who they were accustomed to. And Jesus is saying, I'm different. I'm not like that. I'm not going to use you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm gentle. I'm kind. I'm humble. I'm not going to burden you down with everything. And I love this one, too, that Jesus turns around, and we hear about this message of the good shepherd, right? Jesus being the good shepherd, and that he went to go find the lost sheep, right? He was sent to the, in Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 15, um, he talks about going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? Do you remember this? Okay, we look at that and go, oh, that's really cute. No, no, that's highly insulting, <laughs> highly insulting to the religious leaders of the day. Why? Because it comes from Jeremiah 23, where, he read, where it reads this, What sorrows await the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep? For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord God said of Israel says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out my judgment on you, but I will gather the remnant of my flock from the countries where I've driven them from, and so on and so forth. But this idea of the sheep scattering, there's an inference here that it was you religious leaders, it was you shepherds who were supposed to take care of my people. That's why they're scattered. You deserted them and you pushed them away. That's why they're not coming back anymore. And that's who Jesus came to save. He came to take care of those that were pushed out to the fringes. He didn't come here to build up Simon's agenda of being a zealot. He didn't come here to go down and take down anything. He came here to be different. And so what I want to ask you guys pretty poignantly is what kind of ministry do you want to build when you get into a church or where you're working at now? What kind? One that suits your agenda? One that conforms God to your image? One that takes care of your insecurities? One that builds up your kingdom? One that makes your influence greater and it always seems to be with you on the bigger stage and bigger influence and more followers and more spread and more broadcast and more this and that? Why don't we take what John said, I must decrease but he must increase? And why don't we go after just some of these humble of heart people and take that approach in our ministry with them? Why don't we go after some of these people on the fringes? Because I know that some of the methods that are happening are not working. And you guys know this too. 30% of people 30 years and younger 
are atheist or agnostic, and that number just keeps rising. So is really the remedy to build another building? Is that really it? Or is there maybe a possibly a different way to reach some of these people that are scattered on the hillside because they've been deserted and abandoned by their leaders? Is there a different method? Is there a different way? And if it feels uncomfortable, good. Because welcome to Matthew to the group. Jesus didn't come here to make it comfortable. He came here to make it change. And maybe what we need to do is actually start looking at ways that can be different and change and help out in this area to find the ways that we can reach out and move in directions. And I'm not saying that buildings are bad. I'm not saying that full-time issue. I'm not saying any of that at all. What I'm saying is it's been seen, it's been done. Is there something that maybe can help out some of these lost sheep a little different or better? And maybe that idea and that, that seed of an idea can start with you and who knows where it can go. And let me just give you just some insight. And I'm not in any way saying that I've cracked the nut or I've cracked it all, okay? Not at all. I mean, I'm many times over a failure and many times over a lot of issues, okay? But here's some things I just want to share with you. I have a group that meets on Tuesday nights, a Bible study. All, almost all of them don't go to church. All of them are the lost sheep on the hills. And one of the fathers, um, he and I were chatting the other day, and I was like, hey, good job, you know, da-da-da-da. We were talking. He goes, you know, I talked to my daughter about, um, about church, and she's your age, daughter's around your guys' age. And uh, he goes, how come you, you don't go to church anymore? And she goes, I'm just tired. I, Dad, I never felt like really like I wanted to go to church. He goes, every time I went to church, they were a bunch of posers. Just didn't care about showing up. And I'm not there anymore. And then he said, I feel you. And that's why I'm a part of a Bible study group that's different. Maybe you guys could start something that's a little bit different like that too. Because people need that. And then in line with that, there's another gentleman that's in this group. When we're talking, we're doing it on Zoom, and he's vaping in the background. He's got a, you know, he cusses and swears. I mean, some of these things might kick to, get kicked out of leadership in your churches, but this is in my group. This is the people I hang out with, and I love it. And while we started off on our Bible study group on Tuesday, and his comment was, dude, I think I finally get it. I think I finally get it. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, God doesn't care what I get. He will get it all in the end. I get it. And I'm like, yeah, that's insightful. Man, that's good to hear. Yeah, I hate it. I don't like it, but I get it. I think that's what he's saying. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good place to be. And he's like, but I wish it was different. You know, it's on and on like this, right? Just the normal struggles that we go on with. And I had to think in preparing for this message two big things. I wonder if that's what the disciples thought too after the resurrection. I get it. I get it. It's not about me and my agenda. I get it. It's not about me taking over Rome again and kicking them out. It's about serving till I die and getting walked on and that's okay because Jesus lives. It's about the other people out there and I'll stand up and die for it. I don't care because it's about Jesus. I get it now. I get it. 
Matthew left a life of comfort. And you know what, what history says? How he died is he died in a, in a region called Ethiopia, not in Africa, but this was an area that we call Armenia today in between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. There's a region up there back then called Ethiopia. And he died a martyr um, with a thing that was like a pike that had an axe head on it, and that's how he died. He was killed that way. Gave up a life of a tax-collecting booth, living probably one of the best that we could in, in Israel, collecting, getting wealthy, having the Roman guard to go ahead and enforce whatever it was and give him his private bodyguard security. And he walked away from it all to get hacked to death and to find a man that said, I'm gonna show you how to do it differently. I'm not here to support your agenda. I'm not here to make your name great. I'm here to wreck it all and build something new. And what I really hope is that that God does that with you. And I hope that his kingdom builds and takes root in you as you listen to these classes and these teachers and as you study into the word and as you get deep into the Bible and as you build this personal relationship with Christ because that's what matters. As we sang in the song, I surrender, I want to know you more. Remember what Matthew 7 says. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these miracles? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all this? And what was Jesus' response? Depart from me. Why? Because I... It's about knowing, not doing. And get to know the king. Let's pray. God, you are the great one. You are the creator of all things. By your words, the universe was formed out of nothing. And by you and through you, all things exist and is held together by you. We are nothing without you. And God, in spite of all of that, you came and decided to die for us and to make us alive again, not for our own self, but to give us a new life and make us a new creation and to die to our own self and our old ways and to live again in the newness and the fullness of Christ. Lord, I pray that each one of us here today, myself included, will pick up that cross and follow you and die to our own agendas a die to our own ways in which we think that we need to be put up in our ways in order for the stage and for the influence and all this kind of stuff. And instead, may we decrease so that you can increase. And may your name be glorified through our submission and our humility and our willing to go out on the hills and find the lost sheep in new and unconventional ways. And God, I pray that within this school that you protect it and guide it, that you help out these students, the teachers and the staff, the faculty, and all who are here so that it can go out into the world and change it for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.